Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, Tracks, Part 1. Everybody and welcome to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. It's the only podcast on the internet where we have to re-record the intro 13 times. I'm J.B. Clark, and I'm joined as always by Rob Carmack. Rob, how you doing today? Man, I'm sure we're not the only podcast that has to re-record <laughs> the intro. <laughs> well, I feel like the name of our podcast like doesn't change every week. Everyone else is, you know, like we read, we change the the title card every week because yeah. we're, you know, because we're dedicated. But you do uh, have anyway. to say we are the, we are a podcast that used to talk about every Bruce Springsteen song alphabetically one by one, but now we're talking about the albums slash box sets uh, chronologically one by chronologically one. because yeah. that's the correct way. Yeah. Um, not that we did it wrong or anything. It's just this, you know, this is the way people listen to music. It's, it's the way that Bruce intended his music to be heard. Yeah. And is it, like you said, we're, we're talking about tracks, and I feel like the reason a, a podcast like ours kind of did need to exist wasn't so that people could really think harder about like Thunder Road or Backstreets. It was because like there was this giant like collection of songs that I think a lot of people, myself included, never spent a whole lot of time really thinking about. There was never an occurrence or an occasion to make people say like, hey, what's up with Car Wash? You know what I mean? And so um, and so like the, the purpose of a podcast like ours is to like dig through the, the bottom of the bin and to make sure like every song gets a fair hearing. You know, and yeah, tracks absolutely. is really where we we spent a lot of time, uh, sixty six episodes to be precise, talking about something off of this box set from tracks. Yeah, yeah. woo. So yeah, um, so yeah, that's that's what we're gonna do. So we're gonna. Um, th- there's been some listeners, and I'm I'm not I don't you know we're, look we're we're doing this the way we decided to do it, and there are people who are gonna think that we overcovered certain things or that we undercovered certain things that we shouldn't spend four weeks on tracks or that we should, but then we also should talk about every live album ever released or whatever. And I mean, like, look, we're going to do what we're going to do. We're going to talk about tracks. Tracks is a massive release. It's four discs. There's so, there's so many songs. We cannot ignore tracks, but we also can't go back and do like the blood brothers EP for a whole week, you know what I mean, and so like there, we're right. just gonna have to. There's gonna be some stuff we do and some stuff we don't. So that's just gonna have to be okay with everybody. So, not to be defensive, <laughs> <laughs> not not to start off on a defensive foot. No, um, I mean, look, we're in a pandemic. Everybody, if you, if you're dissatisfied with how this podcast is going, I'll send you a link to the Amazon page where you can order yourself a podcasting mic, and you can do what everybody else in the world has done in the last six weeks and start your own podcast, <laughs> including your daughter. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, my daughter, my daughter started her own podcast. I'm- pumped for that uh i was like oh how cute and then i saw what she was doing and i was like that's that's right up my alley <laughs> it's super fun yeah my, my daughter who is seven has started a podcast called delia has questions and uh she, she's she, so she on brand oh my gosh yeah i mean it's, it's basically like what it's like to put her to bed every night just, <laughs> uh, just recorded so we she she's had a lot of because of like the pandemic and questions about like people losing their jobs there's been a lot of discussion about like it's not, it hasn't been like this since the great depression and so her, her like she ended up being like oh what is the what is that what is the great depression what are you talking about what, who, who's depressed and and so um so we ended up going on a deep dive about the great depression and my dad is a banker um, and so we, so she was asking a lot of like banker questions about the great depression. And I said, you should just call Papa Steve and, and ask him. And so we decided to record it and, uh, that it has now become, uh, the early, the, the early beginnings of what will eventually become an actual podcast. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'll let everybody know when that's available to stream. <laughs> so pumped. Yeah. Um, anyway, so JB, we're talking about tracks. So, um, tracks. we're going to do one disc per episode. 
Yes. And then if you're one of our patrons, what we're going to do for the bonus episodes, instead of doing like top five box sets or whatever, we're going to take this opportunity to talk about our favorite things from the decade of the 2010s, from 2010 to 2019. And I know there are people out there who are like, no, that's not the decade. The decade is 2011 to 2020. And look, that may be accurate, but it's not very interesting. So what we're going to do is we're going to say the 2010s and not the last decade. We, we did not do an episode where we talked about our favorite things from the last from, from the 2010s. So now we're going to do that. We're going to spend the next four weeks. This week, it's going to be our top 10 yep. favorite albums from the 2010s. So if you want to hear that, you can go and listen on our um, Patreon feed if you're a patron. So that's, that's where we're going to do it. All the, all the ones that start with one, two, yep. zero, one, underscore. That's correct. Yeah, that's what we're doing. All the people, by the way, I don't know if you've seen the John Mulaney special, um, Kid Gorgeous, where he talks yeah. about how um, he, I forget exactly what he's comparing it to. But but basically, he's like, don't be like the kid at the sleepover who it has to like remind everybody that it's tomorrow after midnight. Like, hey, guys, it was really fun <laughs> watching Beetlejuice tonight. It, don't you mean last night? It's it's after midnight. It's tomorrow now. <laughs> and Mulaney's like, you shut up. You take your EpiPen and get out of my house. <laughs> Oh Just man! Because you're accurate EpiPens. doesn't make you interesting, and I thought like that is great. That's what I want to say to people who are like, no, the, the end of the, the end of the decades not until this year. Like, look, no, that's not that's not how we do things. We're talking pop culture here. We're not trying to be. We're not you know, we're not recharting the known world. We're just saying like, well, here are some of our favorite things from ten years ago. Have you gotten some especially angry listener mail lately? No, I'm just edgy. You know, it's it's, <laughs> it's pandemic. You sound like Mark Marin right out of the gate. I, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't mean to bring that level of energy. I was it's just texting okay. uh, a friend of mine who's who's a pastor was just texting me about a, a person who goes to his church who was complaining about how um, now since they've been doing um, online services, people aren't wearing suits and ties anymore, and he's very upset about it. And and so oh, my friend, yeah, so my friend, my friend was like texting me he's like, "What do you even say to this guy?" I said, "Man, tell him to dress however he wants and shut up." <laughs> so like that yeah. that put me in a mood to be like nobody i don't want to hear any complaint <laughs> so uh, about anything yeah as a unpaid uh sunday morning volunteer lifelong mm-hmm. <laughs> sunday morning volunteer i have very much enjoyed uh not doing anything on sundays including not <laughs> attending most uh church services online and reading my own uh, theology at my own pace. It's been nice. Yeah. I can't wait until I get to see all my friends again on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night or on a Thursday night, whatever we're doing, whenever. Yeah. Traditional church days or not. But I got to say, man, much need a break. I I certainly don't miss getting up at 6 a.m. on Sundays to go like pick up donuts and make coffee. So, you know, that's now now I get up at 8 a.m. to order DoorDash donuts and make coffee. (laughs) Yeah. It's a whole different reality. Um, Before we go on, and we should go on soon, I mentioned Mark Maron a while ago. His partner, Lynn Shelton, passed away this week. That is so sad. Yes. Yeah. And my heart is broken. She was great. She directed uh, some stuff I really loved, especially Glow, which I've been glowing about on the show for for a couple of years now. And he is one of my absolute favorite just – Figures. He's one of my favorite canaries in this coal mine that we live in, <laughs> and um, and sort of a barometer. And just listening to him be sad has made me really sad. Um, but listening to him be hopeful has also made me very hopeful. So I mean, look, if Mark Maron can find hope, then uh, what, are, what what are the rest of us doing? 
Right. Well, I also think <laughs> Mark Marin has found a way to find hope and he attributes it to this person, uh, Lynn Shelton, then yeah. maybe she was a pretty great person. And she collaborated with all the people that I consider the good ones, specifically uh, Mark Marin, the Duplass brothers. Um, yeah. And many others. Yeah. So. It's sad. Oh, all right. Well, let's talk uh, tracks a little bit. So tracks is a massive I cannot overstate this massive box set that was released by Bruce Springsteen on November the 10th, 1998 on Columbia records. Uh, yeah, four discs, uh, CDs. And so in that it was released in 1998, we won't do this for the other three weeks because they're all the same year release. But in 1998, if you were buying music, if you walked into a music store, which is the thing people used to do, records, you saw, yeah. If you walked into like a Sam Goody or a Hastings, and uh, you, you yeah, man, FYE, FYE. You pay five more dollars for a CD than at any other store. I mean, shoot, Blockbuster Video. I, I worked the summer of 1998 was the year I was working at Blockbuster Video and we sold CDs. So I don't, uh, we, I, I was gone by the time tracks came out. I don't know if they would have carried that, but they, we carried a bunch of this. Other can you stuff. even get CDs at Best Buy anymore? Or can you only so. get the CDs that come out at, um, at Starbucks? Those are the only CDs, right? Well, it, yeah, or like Amazon, or I mean, I guess there's some like used. Like places that sell like used media that you can buy CDs at, like half price books. You can you can buy CDs. Ooh, half price books. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so in 1998, there were there were some there were some pretty major albums that came out. So if you if you were perusing the the music store, I almost said record store, but nobody was buying records in 1998. So uh, if you were perusing your local, like you said, your your Fye, your Sam Goody, your Sam's Goody, your whatnot. Um. Then, Sam's Goody. <laughs> <laughs> then you might you might oh, have seen. That's great. Thank you. Uh, then you might have seen uh, some of these albums. Uh, the Miseducation of Lauren Hill, which we've mentioned previously. Mm, such a good record. Uh, there is Dizzy Up the Girl by Goo Goo Dolls, which also, by the way, um, the City of Angels soundtrack also came out the same year. And both of those both those albums had the song Iris by Goo Goo Dolls yes. on it. Uh, Stunt by Bare Naked Ladies. One of my... I, love I just listened to an interview with uh, Stephen What's-His-Face from Bare Naked Ladies. Stephen Page, yeah. He's on the Hilarious yeah. World of Depression. Hilarious World of Depression. Yeah. It was great. Uh, I love that you and I are listening to all the same podcasts. <laughs> we, we we consume a lot of the same media. We do, for sure. Which is why this is working so well. It's, uh, it's then, perfect. Spe- speaking of artists that we consume. We when our consume, powers combined, they are the same. <laughs> yes. We, we, yeah, that's that's correct. Uh, 1998 was also the year of Mermaid Avenue by Billy Bragg and Wilco. It was uh, Yield by Pearl Jam, one of my favorite, well, definitely in my top three favorite Pearl Jam records. Uh, Kansas by friend of the show, Jennifer Knapp. Up by R.E.M. From the Choir, Choir Girl Hotel by Tori Amos. White Ladder by David Gray. Before These Crowded Streets by Dave Matthews Band. Listen, guys, we were wearing a lot of uh, Birkenstocks. And a lot of hip necklaces. Hit, like a lot a of hip mushrooms necklaces. inside. Yeah. Uh, a favorite of yours, JB, oh. XO by Elliot Smith. Very good. In the Aeroplane Over the Sea by Neutral Milk Hotel. Ray of Light by Madonna. Train That's by... an incredible record. The, the Neutral Milk Hotel record? Yes, it is. It's very Oh, good. my gosh. Yeah, uh, the, that was sort of like when emo became pop. Ooh, yeah, I, I never really thought of it in those terms. Like, I always sort of equated them with like sort of like a Jeff Buckley, um, like Elliot Smith type sound. But yeah, I could, like there's definitely right, but some that's emo like emo there. on the radio. Yeah. Um, all right, so then you got the debut album from Train featuring the hit single "Meet Virginia." You've got uh, yeah. wide Did open. That one sp- also have drops of Jupiter on it. No, that was the next one. I know, I know more uh, about Train than I than I let on, but yeah, it was that was the first one, dude. I do too. My brother's <laughs> favorite record was that second Train record, like for until recently. Um, I listened to a lot of man. Train I had, in college. It, I did too, and I, not in college because right. <laughs> I was 
uh, of appropriate age to listen to a lot of Train. But I had a kid one time, my band was practicing, he came up and he was like, y'all are the best things since Train. And I looked at that kid and I said cuss words to him. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, let's see, you've got Wide Open Spaces by the Dixie Chicks, which we've talked about mm. on our bonus episode. Um, Aquamini, Aqu- Aquimini by Outcast. I don't know exactly how to pronounce that. Um, Mutations by Beck, Moon Picks by Cat Power, the soundtrack to the movie Titanic, featuring My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. That was the number one album of that year, by the way, this, the Titanic soundtrack. That's back when sa- soundtracks were all the rage. And uh, let's see, the Godzilla soundtrack, which featured a, a, a pretty great David Bowie cover by the Wallflowers. And uh, the Armageddon soundtrack, which featured like that maybe ruled. Aerosmith's the o- only number ever. one single. It's their only number one single. In Is it career. really? I didn't realize it was their only mm-hmm. number one. That's incredible. Yep. Don't want to yep. miss a thing. That's a great song. I don't care. Don't want to miss a says. thing. Um, ben so, Affleck's uh, putting animal crackers in uh, in Liv Tyler's panties. Man, don't want to miss a thing. Michael, there's something very wrong with Michael Bay. But <laughs> but that was I mean I remember vividly hearing an interview with him before I knew who Liv Tyler or Ben Affleck. I'd seen the movie, but like I didn't know who they were. I didn't know that I would watch them in movies every year for the rest of my life. Yeah. Uh, but he was like on a late night show, and he was like, "Yeah, I don't know. Apparently, chicks love it when you stick animal crackers in their panties." And that's what I remember about about the nineteen ninety eight and about <laughs> that movie and. A, According yeah. to known feminists Ben Affleck and Michael Bay, this is what women like. <laughs> yeah. Also, Liv uh, Tyler was later in a in a horror movie called The Others, and she lit a million cigarettes and she finished zero, and it drove me insane. Interesting little little thing to have remembered. So uh, anyway, that was that was a that was an interesting year for music and and for movies because like again, nineteen ninety eight, that was a big year for like it's, it seems like every big movie that came out that year had a like a hit soundtrack that came with it and. Um, and again, did I a walk about, to remember come out that year? Uh, no, that came out a little while later. I was, I think I was a youth pastor by the time that came out. 2002. Um, yeah. So, um, but that yeah, happened. there were a lot of summer movies. Uh, Saving Private Ryan came out that summer. I remember, but anyway, um, yeah, all right. So anyway, that, that, those are the other albums that came out the year that tracks was released. So here are the basic facts about tracks that rhymed. So tracks is a four disc CD box set containing 66 songs by Bruce Springsteen. It consists mostly of previously unreleased material and B sides from various singles from Bruce's career up to that point. Now, I mean, and we've talked about this a lot, obviously on this podcast, but Bruce Springsteen, as if we're talking about other Bruce's, uh, but Bruce famously uh, tends to, I, I always feel weird if I refer to him just by his first name too often. Um, it feels like we're way. Yeah. You know, people don't think we're talking about Bruce Shamling, right? Or Uh, Bruce Wayne. Bruce Chamberlain um, is my favorite fictional uh, comedian. Uh, so uh, anyway, Bruce Springsteen famously tends to write and record a lot of songs while he's working on an album and almost always leaves off a bunch of stuff from the final cut of the album because one of the things that, that he's he's been doing ever since Darkness on the Age of Town is he'll just write tons and tons and tons of songs. And then once all the songs are written, he'll kind of decide what the mood and the structure of the album needs to be, which is why a lot of times you find that he's cut songs that no other artist ever would have left off of an album like fire or because the night or pink Cadillac or any number of, of songs that other artists would have like killed to have like featured on their album. So um, anyway, so there's lots and lots of stuff that Bruce has not included on, on his albums. And this was pretty much an opportunity for him to be like, look, there's a bunch of stuff here and uh, it's never going to see the light of day if we don't just start releasing it. So, um, Tracks is a collection of a lot of those songs, not all of them. In fact, uh, when Bruce and his chief recording engineer, Toby Scott, began going through uh, his old material in 
mid-1998, they discovered that there were over 350 unreleased songs that Bruce had recorded. And and of course, we, I mentioned before, like, this this only has 66 songs on it. So, like, this this barely scratches the surface of what, what Bruce has somewhere sitting in a drawer. So by, by July 1998, they'd selected, Bruce and Toby had selected 100 songs to go on the box set. So the original plan was for this to be exactly 100 songs. But Bruce ultimately made some sort of cuts, and um, and the final count ended up, of course, being 66. And for, for some of the songs, they re-recorded certain parts, bringing in like old E Street band members or uh, studio musicians to, to help kind of round out the tracks. So that was that's sort of like the origin of how it got structured. So the box set, when it's released, it peaks at number 27 on the Billboard 200 album charts, which doesn't sound great, except for the fact that this is 66 songs and it was pretty expensive. Like if you're just walking into a music store, you know, like every everything else is probably priced somewhere between uh, 9.99 and 14.99, and you see this, and it's probably priced somewhere in like the 30 to 40 dollar range at least. Yeah. And so you're probably like, mm, maybe not. And uh, like this, this probably end up being in a lot of people's Christmas. Uh, gift lists, but uh, probably not a lot of people just like wandering into a record store deciding to pick up a 66 song juggernaut, like massive um, paperweight. So um, yeah, without without singles on it. Yeah, yeah, ex- absolutely. With no singles at all. Um, it has since been certified platinum in the US and gold in Canada. And the next year, they condensed the box set into a single disc album because obviously like it's easier to sell a single disc al- album and they called it 18 tracks. And because they need everybody to buy everything, they added three new, quote-unquote, new songs, three three more uh, deep cuts. And the, the the three songs that they added to 18 tracks were Trouble River, The Fever, and The Promise. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, for those of you who are, like, firing off an email, we're not covering 18 tracks. Hit me with those emails. It's not going to change a thing. We're not going back through all this material again. <laughs> so, those are and, the... Uh... Interestingly, there's not really a theme about uh, amongst any of these songs, unlike all those other records. But uh, if you were to, you know, really try to find a theme, I think the theme would be tracks. There are a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The theme is like Bruce writes a lot of songs, and not all those songs belong on an album. <laughs> Some um, of them uh, arguably could be on an album. Some of them decidedly shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. And some of them were like, why is this not on an album? Like, it kind of runs the gamut. So, and we we were talking off mic about, like, how long do we need to devote to talking about each song? And, like, how much, you know, how much do we really need to think about each of these songs? And, like, look, if you want a breakdown of each of these songs, we've done that. You can go back in the feed. And, and really, the only purpose of this is to sort of, like, place these in a space and time and, and to acknowledge that they are here. And some of these, some of these songs really are worth discussing. That said, one of the things that we have spent time talking about since we started the second season is kind of the cohesive theme, like the narrative arc of each individual album and how does each song sort of fit inside of the whole. And we were talking off mic about how, like, really, there is no cohesive theme. Like, th- th- this this box set is really, it's the island of misfit, it, it is the island of misfit songs. So, like, th- the fact that there is no cohesive thing, theme is mostly the reason they're here. But, yeah. I mean, but and even in spite of that, Bruce felt like these 66 songs were worth releasing and he wanted people to hear them for one reason or another. So, um, so that's, that's sort of the, the overall kind of scope of this. So JB, any initial thoughts, any, anything maybe we need to mention before, um, we get into the tracks. I'll say there's like, it's fun to listen to some of the B sides and stuff. Some of the outtakes, I mean, not outtakes, but like, uh, demos. Um, I love to hear an artist sort of like process, uh, a song before it becomes a thing. But I honestly think that, most of my favorite versions of songs that aren't the actual studio ones are, are on the live album, specifically the uh, that first big live album. So, I think I, I agree with that. In fact, I, some of the strongest material 
on this first disc at least are the live cuts or the there are two live cuts on the whole box set and one of them is I'll tip my hand a little is rendezvous and like man that song that song is awesome like that I, yeah you know and not not to get ahead of ourselves but that's that's definitely one of the the crown jewels of this box set i think for so, sure um yeah, man. All right. Well, then let's get into it. So uh, track one, the first four songs are demos. So these are all songs that ultimately ended up on, like a cleaner version of them ended up on Greetings from Asbury Park, New Jersey, which was Bruce's debut album in 1973. So he decided, for whatever reason, he decided to include four songs from his initial 1972 audition for John Hammond at Columbia Records. And Bruce is 22 years old. He rode into New York City on a bus and it, apparently he, he was playing all these songs on an acoustic guitar that he borrowed from the drummer for the Castiles, which was one of his first bands. And he didn't even have a guitar case. So he's just walking around New York City, 22-year-old Bruce Springsteen, just walking around New York City, carrying around a borrowed guitar with no case, sing, like literally like trying to sing for his supper. Yeah. And, and that alone makes this an interesting artifact. Now, that said, these four, first four songs I never spend any time with. You know, I mean, no. yeah. Well, this is like when an artist puts out an iPhone recording nowadays of how something came together. That's what this is. These are iPhone recordings yeah. from the 70s. Uh, yeah. So Mary Queen of Arkansas, it's hard to be a saint in the city growing up. Does this bus stop at 82nd Street? It's cool. It's a cool. Uh, it's it's a cool photograph in time. Yeah. You know, it's a newspaper clipping of, of the career. Can I say, and this is the only thing that I'll, I'll really add to any of these four songs, which is. I think I prefer this version of Mary Queen of Arkansas to the album version. Yeah. Um, Is that weird? I don't know that I do, but I, I get it. Yeah. It's a little bit more rhythmic. You know, I feel yeah. like I feel like it's I don't know. I, I like it. I don't, I don't know why. Also, it's super weird. that This was literally the song he opened his, his audition with. If you yeah. got these other songs, man, I would not have opened with Mary Queen of Arkansas for my audition. I mean, obviously, it worked out fine for him, but um, that, that seems like a major gamble to me <laughs> to, to have done that. Think about like a 22 year old poet, though, you know, this is like he's talking about someone from the deep south, you know, Mary Queen of Arkansas, you know, yeah. like, yeah. Well, then he's and we'll talk more about this in a second, but like they're they're really looking for their next, quote unquote, the next Dylan. And that that certainly kind of fits inside of that. that this idea. is it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, really, all four of these songs do. They're they're very like verbose and like narrative thick. There's There's a lot of stuff going on. They they sound a lot like, I mean, quite frankly, I don't know if you've seen the Rolling Thunder Review documentary. They sound a lot like, like early drafts of a lot of the songs that Bob Dylan ends up doing on that tour, from yeah. from the Desire album. Anyway, that's uh, so yeah, you you named them Mary Queen of Arkansas, Hard to Be a Saint in the City, Track Three, Growing Up, Track Four, Does This Bus Stop at Eighty Second Street? That is that is an early snapshot of what would be ultimately become the first Bruce Springsteen record. Yep. So um, you want to just move right into Track Five? Yeah, let's do it. This is a uh, hotly contested between the two of us. Bishop Danced. Bishop Danced. This is a live cut from Max's Kansas City in New York yes. on uh, January 31st, 1973. Indeed. For the King Biscuit yeah. Flower Hour. Yes. And so it's like uh, accordion, violin, acoustic guitar. I don't think there's any violin. I think it's just Danny on the accordion and Bruce on the, on the guitar. Oh, okay. I'm thinking about some of the live tracks to this I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's accordion and uh, acoustic guitar. Yeah. And it's definitely interesting. I love this song. <laughs> we I talked about too. this. We talked about this years ago. This is one of, like obviously it's a B. So like we we started we started early on with this one, and um, 
I'm not going to lie. I found myself truly surprised at how well I respond to this song because it's nonsense. I mean, this is um, it, it, it's a it's a total nonsense song. Like we, we spent a lot of time like trying to parse the lyrics and like what is he like Catholic traffic flowed freely across the river and fiddle stick fiddled quick out the front door. Like that means nothing. He's like th- this may be like Bruce is notoriously drug free. I think this if Bruce ever once did mushrooms, this is when he wrote that song. Yeah, I don't know, man. People talk about how mushrooms bring them like clarity about the bigger world. I think this was something dirtier than mushrooms. <laughs> so, this, is, this song is how I feel after watching like three hours of David Lynch movies. I think this is like he found he found <laughs> whipped cream canisters and went ahead and just huffed those and then moved on to the Sharpies and the paint cans before writing this song. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, he's only played this a couple of times live. I And one, one of the times I think was a few years ago in Denver – I, I'm super jealous of the people who are at that show. I would love to have seen this song live. This is one of the true rarities. It is, again, it's it's reflective of sort of that like Dylan-esque, like I'm just gonna, it's just nonsense on the page. But it's folksy and it's pleasant and it's, it's a little bit, um, I don't know, New Orleans, like accordion sounding. Like so it's- Yeah, uh, the accordion has got a little New Orleans. I yeah. mean, the nonsense feels a little New Orleans too. Little it kind of reminds me of- um, of um, a confederacy of dunces. I don't know if you've read that book. You know what? I haven't. Although I've I've got some time on my hands, so maybe I should. It's it's pretty wild. The uh, it, I would advise anyone to read it and then also listen to the audiobook. It doesn't matter which order. Maybe the audiobook first because the character they do of of the vagrant is hilarious. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you like this, you'll probably like a confederacy of dunces. All right. Well, I'm going for it then. If I was. If I was in a Bruce Springsteen tribute band, I would put up the biggest fight every time we played to make sure Bishop Dance made it into the set list. Yeah. Every, that would be the time. That's when you discover where the, where the true Bruce Springsteen fans are in, in, this, in this bar <laughs> or wherever you're this, playing. Trying to remember these lyrics reminds me of like um, of um, the, uh, this band I listened to in high school. I guess still listen to my whole life, Reliant K. They had a song called Gibberish. And the lyrics are like off Bruce and a Finnegan and Dunderford be a man of costicated energy. Like I, you, I could sing the whole song to you right now. N- they're nonsense words that they made all rhyme. And uh, I remember at a concert, like in seventh grade, arguing with the girl sitting in the row in front of us, what the like third line in the second verse was. <laughs> yeah, man, they were just ripping off Bruce Springsteen. They were like, Bishop and that's, Dance, that's what this reminds that. me of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a little foresight to, to the, his latest release, though, there's a line in there. I've seen the sailor's warning in the western sky. Oh so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, he's always he's always had a sort of like a through line. Like you, you can you can track certain like ideas and images and turns of phrase. Like um, I've been listening to the West Wing Weekly podcast and rewatching yeah. the West Wing. And one of the things that they're really good at sort of noticing on that podcast is like here's the thing that Aaron Sorkin wrote for the West Wing. Here's another place that Aaron Sorkin basically wrote the exact same set of dialogue in sports night or the newsroom or, you know, have you seen sports night? Uh, Sports night was my very first thing I ever, I I, I watched sports night in real time. I was devastated when they canceled sports night. I was a senior in high school. The speech that he gives about like why sports matters. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's like, the most passionate, like, oh my gosh, that's the best writing Aaron Sorkin's ever done. Aaron Sorkin is great at making mundane themes things seem like the most important thing in the universe. Sports Night's one of my favorite shows that no one's ever seen. That and News Radio. But oh, dude, I've got the full DVD box set of both those shows God, in my news house radio right now. Yeah, <laughs> I people always look at me crazy because I'm because I'll always just be like. 
Uh, Soylent Green, it's people. (laughs) 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 It's people. So great. Um, Anyway, yeah. On to track six, Santa Ana. Santa Ana. This is a wild, innocent, Eastry shuffle outtake. And pretty decent song. Yeah, we both gave it. uh, Both gave it three stars. That sounds right. And these songs that were. Go ahead. This could have been on Wild the Industry and the Street Shuffle, and this, I don't think the album would have changed much. Like, you could have just added it, you know? I don't think it's it as works. strong as anything on that album. But it doesn't, it's like not out of place. You wouldn't be like, this is the worst record for it. You'd be like, oh, this is a 10 song record. I guess that's right. It, it, yeah, if there had been more space, if, if it had been born out of the CD era and not out of the vinyl record era, then, and you'd had room for like 12 or 13 songs, then yeah, you could have put this on and we wouldn't have complained. Yeah. Yeah. That's about it, though. But yeah, I mean, and it's, and it's yet another one of the songs that kind of plays into Bruce's image of being like the next Dylan. It's it's very wordy. Yes. Um, and then in track seven, you've got Seaside Bar Song, which is a lot more which like... Is da, 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 a great, yeah. It's a great bar song. Another Wild the Innocent outtake. Yeah. This uh, one, why do you think he left this one out? Because I think, I mean, I, I think this one would have paired really well with like Sandy. Or Rosalita, you know what I mean? Like it's it's fun. I th- I think it probably did very well when they would perform it live. It's super loose. It's not even that long, you know. Like it, it there probably could have been room for it. I really don't know, man. You know, he likes the uh, he likes. It's tighter than most Vinny songs, but it's still loose for a Bruce Springsteen song. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's an outtake, which maybe they would have re-recorded it for the record. You know, it's not super well produced. Um, it's got a nice punk rock feel, though, and that's kind of his deal. So, but maybe it's too punk rock for the. Yeah, maybe album. so. Yeah. But it's also got like a really good just vibe. So I don't know. Or maybe he just wanted all the lyrics. Like, well, I don't know. It was good. Yeah. I mean, it definitely it feels like a seaside. It's it's like surfy. You know, like I it, I think it would have been fine. Yeah, it feels like a punk band in, in a surf surfy town. Yeah. Um, like Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters. Yeah, sure. <laughs> As a that thing you do reference. Uh, uh, <laughs> I've seen that a long time. I was thinking about it the other day, though. I am Spartacus. Um, Can I tell you that movie holds up perfectly? That's it's one of the great, greatest mo- music movies ever made. My brother jumps over the um, thing, the turnstile outside of a store every time he goes to one, and I'm always like, "Be careful!" <laughs> Man, that's a cautionary tale. Don't do that. You'll get replaced. You're gonna get You'll Pete Bestest. Yeah. All right, next track, Zero and Blind Terry. This is one that we both uh, rated very highly. You gave it a four. I gave it a four and a half. Yeah. This is our final. This was our final season one episode. And so we've talked about it very recently. Very you can recently. go back and listen to the episode. It's a great, it's like chock full of good sex. It's got those sweet early E Street drums. You said good sax, right? Yes. Okay. Sax. That's what I thought you said, but, th- but at the same time, it was like, I heard an E in there. But, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's got both those things. Um, in fact, we... we on that note, we, we did talk about the possibility that this is a gay love song. Cause, we did. Because um, Zero is never... Wait, w- one, one of the two, Zero or Blind Terry, is never gendered in the in the story. And and both of those are um, n- gender non-specific names. So, um, so, yeah. We talked a little bit about yeah. that, which makes this potentially a pretty progressive song for 1973. And um, it, it is it is a kind of pre- precursor to th- things like Incident on 57th Street and Jungle Land. Yeah, I mean, it's a wildly innocent outtake. So probably this and Z- Incident don't Zero the is same. a boy. 
Okay, so Blind, Blind Terry is the one Blind where Terry it's is a little bit, gendered. we're not totally sure. And Blind Terry is the one whose dad wants to kill Zero. Yeah. Yeah. It's it. There's a whole thing. So, uh, but yeah. It, it's a little it, Romeo and Juliet, or Romeo and Romeo. Yeah. Romeo uh, and Julio. Situation. Romeo and Julio. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a great, it's a really fun, like, early Bruce Springsteen sort of, a la Does This Bus Stop um, sort of epic so it's fun. Yeah, and, you, and it does short, sort of show you like the, the tools that he was working with. It like Incident and Jungle Land weren't just like anomalies that there were. Yeah, you know, like he he was he was working through stories like this a lot. Yeah, he had a lot of them. Yeah, so that um, was okay. Tr- oh, oh, I was just gonna say the same thing. That's that's track uh, eight. So track nine is Linda. Let me be the one. This is uh, the sole reason why Jesse Jackson has asked his wife to change her first name to Linda. Yes. She was uh, previously not Linda. No, her, her, her first name, little known fact, uh, her first name was Beverly on her birth certificate. Uh, par, <laughs> part of their, part of their, I've, we gave her a different first name the last time we talked about this, but <laughs> I, I don't, I didn't go back and look. Um, but uh, it, is, it is, it is so funny to me. Jesse Jackson, the beloved friend of us and the show, Jesse Jackson, like one of the biggest Springsteen fans anyone will ever meet is married to a woman named Linda. And like, like obviously this this has to come up. This has to come up all the time. I, th- I think this must be like the thing that people ask about a lot for him. Oh so, yeah. I, 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 the, well, and he we, loves this song. Oh yeah. And Linda loves this. And we've we've known Jesse for since we started the podcast, like four years. And literally every yeah. time I talk to him, and he mentions Linda, I think Linda, will you let me? Like, <laughs> I, I can't too, not right? do it. I can't. It's so hard. If I saw them every day, that would happen. <laughs> Yeah, I was looking forward to seeing them in October so I could just sing this over to her, over and over to her. Oh man, yeah. Uh, oh man. Feels like we may not happen, but who knows? It, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, so, but <laughs> definitely feels like it's probably not going to happen. It then. definitely does. Like at this point, I'm I'm making no plans for anything. But yeah. Um, but anyway, so this is a Born to Run outtake. There were, there were not many Born to Run outtakes, but this is one of them. Uh, this is before Bruce is writing a ton of songs for consideration. So, like, the next album is Darkness on the Edge of Town, where there's, like, dozens and dozens of outtakes. And Born to Run has, like, maybe a handful. And yeah. Linda Let Me Be the One is is one of them. Now, apparently, Bruce and John Landau really wanted this song on the album. But Mike Appel fought to keep the song off the album. And listen, I hate to ever take Mike Appel's side about anything. But I think he's right about this. I think Born yeah. Run is, is a better album without it. I think with it, it would have been okay. I, I, don't, I don't think it would have hurt the album, but I think it, I, the album as it is, is a masterpiece. And I think to, to change even one thing, I, I, again, like it, it would, if you had added this song, it still would have Thunder Road, Born to Run, uh, Dark, or, um, <laughs> uh, Jungle Land, and 10th Avenue Freeze Out, Backstreet. Like it's, it still would have all the highlights that it has. But it would just have this also, you know, and I don't, I don't know that it needs this. And I, I certainly don't think that it, it is wanting for not having it. It is. It's a nice song, though. I don't mind it. Yeah, it's a good song. In fact, I would go so far as to say if Bruce had decided the next album should have been a doo-wop album instead of Darkness on the Edge of Town, I think this would have been a fine addition to that. Like that little like piano kind of sound. You know, I think I think that this would have been an OK thing for yeah. him to like dig back out and drop on the next album if it had if it had been a doo-wop album which obviously it was not yeah so the next track number 10 thundercrack thundercrack baby's back 
chronologically, we're, we're, we're shifting a little bit. So we did a few Wildly Innocent outtakes. We did Linda Let Me Be the One. And now we're back to doing another Wildly Innocent outtake. I'm, I'm confused about the order of that, but whatever. So this is one of my favorite songs on disc one. This is, yeah. again, it's a, it's a Wildly Innocent outtake. This, this was, apparently, this was the designated showstopper song for, for the live shows until Bruce wrote Rosalita. Like, Rosalita kind of un, unseated this song as, as the, the, the closer. Because it, it's just, it's long, it's high energy, it gives the band an opportunity to kind of, like, go around and do their own things. It's loose. Um, and apparently, the people who attended the live shows early on and back on the Jersey shore really loved this song. And I, I, th- I think it's amazing that this song did, never ended up on a proper album, even though it is very, yeah. Long. You know, it's got, well, it's got a, it's got like false endings galore. So it's a, it's a really fun ending. Yeah. And I suppose because yeah. of that, you could have tightened it up a little bit. Yeah. I, and then maybe that changed it. So it never felt good on a record. I don't know. We both gave it four stars. It's a great, um, it's a great song. I I'm creeping towards five on this one. I really like this song. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, if I'm uh, it's got a sax solo. It's got a guitar solo. It's got group gang vocals. It's it's got some great keys. It's it's got Shannonaz. You know, it's it's got a great bass. It's a fun song. It's got fun lyrics. If if you've never seen like a live video of Bruce and the and the Easter Band performing this song, you should go 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 to YouTube and find one. It's it's a delight. This song's a lot of go to, fun. Go to YouTube. You know yeah. where you can go to find that. There's a little uh, there's a little website out on the edge of town called YouTube. Um. So don't read the comments, though. Don't read the comments. Uh, so when they this, this is one of the songs they went back and added some stuff to the recordings in 1998 before they released the box set. Bruce actually he calls Vinny Lopez and Danny Federici to come in just to sing background vocals, which must have been a lot of fun to just like, hey, why don't you guys come in and do the shot on us? Uh, well, it, Vinny says the whole thing took 40 minutes, but the, it, it felt just like the old days. And uh, they, they say they. Um, they said that they remembered their parts just like they've been playing the song yesterday, which I think is very fun and very cool. So I'm, I'm glad I'm glad this song found a home. Like I'm, I'm sure there were a lot of early E Street Band followers who, for years, really wanted a uh, like a, an official copy of this. You know, so I, right. I, I'm sure this was like I'm, I bet when when this out this box set came out and the track list was released, I, my my guess is like old time Bruce Springsteen fans saw this one on there and was like, okay. Yes, finally. Finally, Thundercrack gets a, gets a hearing. So that's really cool, I think. Yeah, man. And the next song is another uh, super great outtake that never made it on a record. It's track uh, 11, Rendezvous. It's called Rendezvous. So uh, it's, this... uh, You gave it four and a half. I gave it five. It's a great song. I'm full on a five. Oh, are we? I mean, I gave it four. You gave it four and a half. I was gonna I say I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump it to a five for me. You're a five now. Yeah. I'm gonna change my I'm gonna change my ratings for you. Yeah. Yeah, it was a darkness on the edge of town outtake. Uh, that's really, that that surprises me. Like, d- does this not feel like a river outtake to you? Yeah, like the the bells. Yeah, was, yeah. Like I even even though it was a darkness on the edge of town outtake, and we will talk about it again when we get to the promise. Um, I continue just to be shocked that this isn't a river outtake. And in fact, honestly, I think he should have used it on the river. I think if you if he had gone in like when he was finally tracking the river, if he'd taken off, I'm a rocker. And put rendezvous on the river instead. The the river, like that that notches the river up another couple points for me. You know. Yeah. You know it could it could have fit on Born in the USA too. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It would have been a lot of fun on either of those records. So I'm yeah. I'm truly surprised this never got a like like an album treatment until yeah. you know until this. Killer tight song. Yeah. It's, it was like three and a half four minutes. It's not like. It's just good. It's just like a pop rock song. It's good. 
Yeah, it was recorded at Nassau yeah. Coliseum in Uniondale, New York, on December the thirty first, nineteen eighty, which is a legendary Springsteen show. Like that's that's one yeah. that, that's one of those shows that's been being bootlegged for a long, long time since way before Bruce was officially releasing those things. Um, it's a great pop song. Yeah. Um, also, by the way, this song, a, a true Springsteen rarity, has a co-write credit. Uh, a guy named Doug Cameron is is credited as a co-writer here. Um, cool. I don't know Doug Cameron. I don't either. Uh, and then Bruce gave the song away to a singer named Greg Ken, and that did not uh, result in any <laughs> major success for him. But no. uh, he had access to this amazing song. Um, but yeah, total highlight to this box set. I love this song. Yeah, great song. Uh, the next one, uh, less memorable, uh, Give the Girl a Kiss, track 12. It's not a bad song. We both gave it threes. Another Darkness on the Town outtake. Yeah, it's got some fun, you know, little Steven being a little Steven in the background there. Definitely. Uh, would be a fun song to see live. Would be a very fun song to see live. For sure. I think so, too. I'm actually kind of amazed yeah. this didn't end up on The Promise. You know, because it definitely has that doo-wop sensibility. It, yeah, it, I mean, got a lot of doo-wop. Even the title is, is lifted from the Shangri-Las Give Him a Great Big Kiss. Like, it's, it yeah. is a direct the, um, copy of something like that. Yeah, man. And the the um, the drums, like, swing real good, real sock hoppy, real, real, real doo hoppy. Yeah, I like it. I think, in fact, I think you say we gave it threes? Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm I, I can give it a four. I may be reevaluating that also. I guess it doesn't really matter at this point, but I, I could I could definitely bump this one up to a four. Um, yeah. For exactly the reason you just said. Like, man, if I ever heard this song live, it would be a thrill. Yeah. This is tons of fun to see these true bands. It's live. official. We're giving it fours. Fours? Hey, give the girl a kiss. Got, just got an upgrade to a four. Fours this across is, the board. This is why we do this. Yeah. All right. Well, then. Uh, then we got Iceman. Iceman, track 13. Dart, another Darkness on the Edge of Town outtake. Yeah. So talk to me about Gary Talent's bass line here. It comes in like real nice. Mm-hmm. I, I think the Glock keyboards kind of overdo over over um, shadow it a little bit, but um, yeah, that bass just kind of. Um, I'm trying to trying to find it here to kind of refresh, but it it comes in late. Where does it come in? Like two minute mark? I don't know. Just a couple. No, of minute things. and a half. Okay. Minute and a half it comes in. Minute and a half. And he just he's kind of bouncing around like Gary does, but he's keeping it real chill and it's real nice. And he's just walking it up and back down, and back up, and he's just kind of going underneath the melody, and it's very good. Bruce very weirdly opened a show in Europe with this song <laughs> during the River Tour. I think I think it was in France. Huh. How weird to go to that because like, in in the U.S. leg of that tour, he was opening every every show with "Meet Me in the City," which is very big, very up tempo. Imagine like Bruce comes out, the band comes out, the, the crowd's going wild, and Iceman. I mean, that, I mean, it's, it's very cool, and you're definitely in a crowd full of people who are never like no one else is ever going to get this. But what a, what a bold way to start a Bruce Springsteen concert, you know? Yeah, uh, I would be like, what? Yeah. I mean, I like this song a lot. I'm gonna give it five stars. But I would oh, be wow. uh, surprised that it's that it's the you know I would be like I wanted this to be rowdier. <laughs> yeah, and I and he gets yeah. to that. But we, what a what an interesting way to just say hi to everybody. Right, right. Yeah, man. Yeah. So Iceman, it's and I, obviously it was left off of Darkness on the Town. It's interesting this juxtaposition of songs that were left off of Darkness because like Give the Girl a Kiss is like really like bright and bouncy and fun, and this is like this is very dark. <laughs> 
<laughs> this so. fits, except for sonically, this like thematically very much fits Darkwood's on the Edge of Town. About yeah. like maybe maybe the thing that we're we're riding towards isn't even as great as the pursuit. You know. Yeah, it almost feels like it almost feels like it's a little bit tangentially related to like meeting across the river because it has sort of like that seedy underbelly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Kind of feel to it. Like you could probably throw a little trumpet in there, and it wouldn't feel weird. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So then, track fourteen, we have "Bring On the Night," which is a yeah. river outtake. I don't. I don't love this song, but I do love that it kind of feels like this guy's an animals fan. You know? <laughs> yeah. For, well, he, and he definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, everything's just kind of crunchy. The bass is just like Gary's just like blocking those strings, man. Uh, so it's fun. The placement of this confuses me on, on, I mean, yeah. I realize like it's a box set and like, who cares, but still like, it feels like he's mostly trying to go in order, but he's done a, like a bunch of wildly innocent stuff, a bunch of darkness stuff. And now we got a river one and the next three are born to run and darkness on the edge of town outtakes again. So like, I, I'm confused as to why he tossed a river one on here so early. I definitely think this would fit on the river. Yeah? Yeah, like it just feels, you know, thematically it fits. and Yeah, I could see that. And, like uh, and musically it fits, you know, it's a very, like, uh, bar rock song. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, this isn't a song, I don't love this song, but if I saw them playing this in a bar, I would be just floored, you know. I would love it. Yeah, it's definitely not as good as almost everything on the river. But, but yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised that this came out of the sessions where he was writing all that material. Yeah, I'm a little surprised this isn't a song uh, that, you know, like a la Thundercrack that wasn't just like a big live hit. Yeah, I can see that. It's tight, short, you know. For sure. Yeah, big big energy. Um, Yeah. I could could totally see him opening a show with this, Bring on the Night, Um, rather than Iceman. So, once I'm... Sorry. (laughs) I was looking at my list of all the songs. <laughs> track 15. <laughs> yeah, track, track 15. Track 178. Uh, track 15, <laughs> So Young and In Love, uh, is, is it, this is a fun song. I, I rated this a five. You gave it four. Yeah. Um, it's a born and take. Yeah, and it feels like it. It's got a lot of just like young, wild energy. Um, the sax is fun. The melodies are cool. Bruce is doing sort of like a faster talky thing. Uh, that's nice. Um, so I really love it. Yeah. Clarence and, and, and Gary and the guitar are just playing off each other so much. So, yeah, he constructed this song specifically so that it could be played in clubs and get everybody excited. I think it's interesting. And that kind of shows you sort of his evolution as an artist too, which is like everything he did pre born to run in a lot of ways. He was, well, not everything, obviously not like Mary queen of Arkansas, but like a lot of the things he was doing early on, he was writing with, the audience in mind. Like how, how can I get a, a club full of rowdy people to like pay attention and get on their feet and get sucked in? Like he was, he wasn't just like writing songs and thinking like, well, I sure hope this translates live. He was like, I'm going to write a song so that we can have a good live show, you know? Yeah. And this is one of those songs that he, like he, the reason the song exists is because Bruce wanted to liven up the show. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure it, when, whenever they did it, I'm, I'm sure mission accomplished. Bruce is very good at doing that. Yeah, I mean, you could you could argue Bruce is the best there has ever been at getting a crowd on their feet. Yeah, and like the call and response uh, group vocals is a lot of fun. So yeah, 
Yeah, I, I love it. And the way the call and the way the drums cue everybody in the call and response stuff, the pianos lights out. It's a great song. I, I love this song. It's a <laughs> super fun song. I, again, if if I went to a Springsteen show and saw him do it, I'd be like, this is great. I'm very you'd excited. You'd probably about up this. your you'd probably give it a four and a half or a five if you saw it. That live. is probably true. That I mean that's true for almost every Bruce Springsteen song, right? Like I, I can I can yeah. have an okay re- like opinion of a song and then hear him do it live and think like, Oh, I've misjudged the song forever. I'm th- this is this is my new favorite song. That's happened so many times. But I don't think it's true for the next song. Hearts of Stone? Track yeah, 16? Track 16. I don't think that you would change how you feel about this song. This is a Darkness on the Edge of Town outtake. Yeah. I actually, I was listening to this yesterday, and I was like, I, I don't mind this. This is, this is kind of nice. Yeah, well, you know, it's fun. <laughs> I, it's, it's very little Steven to me. Do you get that? Are you, are you, are yeah. you picking up that vibe? Yeah, it is. And it definitely feels like... Uh, I think there's a theme in that. It's uh, songs that he sends to Southside Johnny. <laughs> oh, songs that feel more yeah. Little Steven than Bruce. Because, <laughs> like, where he says, "Put your ear close to the phone," I can totally like. It's all I can close my eyes and see Little Steven like leaning in, and yeah. like doing yeah, close. Like I can. Yeah. It's, Come on. it's right there in my Put head. Your ear close to the phone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Darkness on the Edge of Town outtake, Hearts of Stone. Obviously, this was not going to fit on the final cut of Darkness on the Edge of Town, so. He he left it off and gave it gave it to Southside Johnny and now here we are talking about it on track fifth one. Yep. And then finally, track seventeen, a very controversial song in the in the life of our podcast. Don't look back. Yeah, so, don't look back. I, I gave it two and you gave it five. I gave four, it four, four, and a half. four, four and a half, somewhere in there. Um, this is a four Darkness a on the Edge Town outtake. Uh, this was supposed to be one of the pillars of the Darkness album. In fact, I think for for a minute this was supposed to be the title track. For, for that album so it, it did it was pretty surprising that bruce just totally pulled it from the album at the last in fact there were there were certain um track lists that were released early to um for like promotional material that had this at like in in the um the final slot on the album so at the last like truly at the last minute bruce decided to take it off and um put on darkness on the town instead and um i really like this song a lot and i remember you didn't like it and we had a mem- we had a listener who um, we'll we'll say he he agreed more with me than than he did with you about that, to put it mildly. Yeah, I think my problem was that it feels a little jumbled, like the performance isn't great. It's not a bad song. It's all right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like, there's a live cut of it from the Live in New York um, release that is great. It's, It's a really, it's very short. It's only like three minutes long. It's like super fast and super short and very upbeat. I mean, I, and I like when people yell when they sing, you know, but I just don't buy it. I don't believe it, I guess, sometimes. Yeah. I don't just, know. It's just not doing it for you. It's just not for you. I don't, yeah, I don't have a problem with the song by any means. You know, it's a rock and roll song by Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Like, I'll listen to it. Yeah. It's got great guitar stuff. Yeah. It's 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 Kids. got a it's got a girl sitting in a truck putting on lipstick while the guy is, like, fixing a tire in the rain. Like, it's. It, it, it's like Bruce Springsteen bingo. It checks off like most of the boxes. Yeah, sexy girl in the car, deck stacked. They got a bad break. They got a bad shake. They're driving, spell to the floor. It's raining. Trying to get there's out of here. There's a hurricane. There's love. There's heartbreak. There's redemption. Uh, there's, you know, believing in love. There's meeting me in the street. There's darkness. Like, yeah, you know, definitely hit the, bing- the bingo. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I gave it a bad. Maybe I gave it a bad shake. Maybe it should be maybe it should be a three or a four. I don't know. Hey man, just follow your heart. Don't don't feel it. Don't feel the. I mean, we've made it. We've made it this long. We made it four years without you having to change your rating on this. Don't 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 crack now. Don't look back now. Don't look back. That's right. The deck is not stacked against you, sir. We've 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 overcome. You didn't do it. I thought you were gonna do it. <laughs> what? Don't look back. 
Yeah. No, it's good. It's a good song. I, I butchered that. I, that's not the actual. No, my, man, you uh, did great. It was. I, I couldn't even, close my eyes. I couldn't even tell the difference between. <laughs> that's not my actual assessment of how I think he sounds. Uh, um, no, I don't have a problem with it. I'm not mad about it. Anyway. <laughs> so what are if? Okay, let, let's say you have to. I'm, I'm. I probably should have planned this a little bit better. But like, if if you're putting on tracks, if you're gonna put on disc one. And you're, you've only got time to listen to three songs. Which which three songs are you going to listen to? Zero and Blind, Terry, Iceman, So Young and In Love. Wow, you didn't even Next think question. about that. Very cool. Uh, Maybe for, Thundercrack or Rendezvous instead of uh, Iceman. For me, it is Thundercrack, Rendezvous, and Don't Look Back with uh, a safety spot for um, Bishop Dance. <laughs> <laughs> nope, not for me. That's all right, man. That's why that's why this is here. This is like a giant buffet line of Bruce Springsteen outtakes. Like you can just you know pick and choose what you like and leave what you don't. What what is one what is one song on this box set, excluding the demos, or on the first disc that if, if Bruce called you and was like, "Hey, man, I, I need I need to cut one of these off of here, and no one can ever listen to it again." Which one Which one would you cut? Uh, Bishop Dance. Ah, how dare you? Um, well, what would you cut? I don't know. Let me. Uh, I should have had an answer. Heartstone. No, not Hearts of Stone. I think um, that's your lowest rating. Is it? I think that's 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 a mistake. Then it, it, Hearts of Stone should not be my lowest rating. I don't mind Hearts of Stone. Um, let's see. It might be Bring on the Night. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I think if I if I had to lose one from from disc one, it would probably be Bring on the Night. I, just don't, I mean, it, it's fine, and like like we talked about, it's like I'm sure it's fine and upbeat, but it just I don't. It, it's it's the least memorable. It's the least interesting one to me. It's. It, over over the however many years we've been doing this, it's the one that's grown on me the least. So yeah, yeah I say perfect. Makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, that is all for the main episode. If you want to jump in on the patron feed, we're going to be talking about our top ten albums from the 2010s, which is uh, a decade as far as we are concerned. Don't email us about it. So um, that is all that. JB, any final thoughts about track one or track one disc one? Disc one of tracks. No, I mean there's there's some definitely there's some gems on here. That's that's gonna be the theme going through. Sure. There's a couple gems. There's a couple stinkers. And there's a bunch of stuff you've already heard before, or a little bit of stuff you've already heard before. For sure. Or something that sounds like something you've heard before because it got reused later. Yeah, there is. There's gonna be some of that for sure. So you know, it's a fun look into the process. It's it not is. My- Favorite is on my list. Well, and, and again, it, it's a good. It was a good opportunity for people who had been following Springsteen for decades to finally get a, get a chance to like own an official copy of a lot of the songs that he had done live but had never released. You know, like for there, I'm sure there were people who spent 25 years wishing they had a copy of Thundercrack in their house. You know, so yeah. So that's for for that reason alone, it's it's worth like it, its existence is worth itself. So. Um, Anyway, yeah, so thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back in your feed next time with Tracks Disc 2. And until then, you can catch us at patreon.com forward slash Springsteen and if you want to hear our top 10 albums from the 2010s. So, JB, we'll see you next time. See you next time. See you next time.